Okay, so thanks everyone. We're going to kick things off. Um, this is Angela and I'm, and I'm Tom. Um, the session is about solar gardens and so I guess what, what we're going to do is we're going to step through or introduce the basic concept around what, um, what a solar garden is, what sort of problem it's supposed to be solving and why we're really excited by it as, as, a, as a potential opportunity. Solar gardens don't currently exist in Australia, and so we're, today what we're going to do is we're going to be workshopping um, with you um, some of the things that would need to be true for solar gardens business models to work in Australia. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to it, but I'll give you a bit of a preview of what we're going to do in sort of step-by-step -step process. We're going to explain the fundamental problem with energy markets as they are today. Talk about the fact that new renewable technologies are changing the landscape in a dramatic way, and we, 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 all, we all know and have a sense of what that looks like. But it's being done in an unstructured way, and we're potentially, in fact, are creating winners and losers. People are being left behind in the energy revolution. And if we don't do something about that by deploying new techniques, um, that problem's only going to get worse over time. So we think there's one potential solution which should be deployed amongst a range of other solutions um, which is emerging in America and it's called solar gardens. So we'll explain what solar gardens are. But we also um, think they can be adopted in Australia but we're making some assumptions. We're, we're, we've got this idea that it can be successful and can work in Australia but we need to test the assumptions that we have. And we're, we're sitting here in a room or well, we've got the business model in our heads. We actually need to get out there and start testing whether or not customers are going to be interested in signing up to this new product or concept called solar gardens, whether landowners are going to be willing to give, give their land for a rate or a very cheap rate to host solar gardens. So we'll try and develop some experiments today that we can actually take out there to start testing that stuff. So Angela's going to start. Where, where are you from, Tom? Oh, sorry. Tell us, tell us about your <laughs> why, why are we here in front of you? <laughs> so I'm one of the directors at Community Power Agency, um, and we help communities across Australia that want to develop their own energy projects. Um, there's three key pieces of work that we do. We help build the capacity of groups. We do that by developing training resources and delivering training. We, um, we do... Uh, Business, we bring more complex business models in. We think there's a, a role for organisations like us to play to help bring more complex business models into existence in Australia. We also help create the right policy settings. So we do advocacy and lobbying work. So one of the big campaigns we're working on is the Smart Energy Communities Campaign. This idea of 50 renewable energy hubs across the country, centres of excellence that can support all the community energy and other energy initiatives in, in their area. Um, I'm also a volunteer for Sydney Community Energy Group, Pingala, and April's also, I'm sorry, Angela's also a volunteer, <laughs> Pingala, so you can explain to everyone. Yeah, so yeah, we, we're both um, involved in Pingala, um, and I also work for an energy retailer called Energy Locals, and, um, and that also has a role to play in, um, in projects like this um, at, yeah, community, community gardens. Um, yeah, but I'm also really keen to, to get this happening. So, so uh, I think the thing to note is community solar gardens. There's no, we're not we're not talking about this as that that's an association at the moment. That's just what we're talking about today. Okay, so let's get into it. 
So um, just a quick introduction, just to go back to the overall themes of this conference. So we energy, like other, um, other factors like food in our current economy, it's a linear supply chain. So you've got inequalities, you've got the extraction, you've got the mining and the power stations usually centered in, uh, in rural areas. And then that's going along these huge transmission lines to the, the power and the wealth that's located in the cities. And you've got externalities like p pollution. You've got carbon dioxide, right? Um, and moving towards the new economy, you've got consumers taking more interest in where their energy is coming from. And, um, and also now taking responsibility by, for example, putting solar on their roof. Is there anything else I want to talk about? That's it. Okay, Tom. Sure. So, I mean, great, a great way of sort of describing that in terms of energy is, is the diagram that we can use to describe how our energy system works. So, um, back over here, we actually have uh, a big coal mine. And so, we extract coal out of the ground, we take it to a power station. It's energy is produced and it's then transmitted through these big transmission lines to, to, to transport the energy to the cities where we mostly live. It then goes out through all the poles and wires, through the distribution network. Here in the city, in our homes and businesses, we flip the switch on and the lights come on. So there's a really big disconnect between the consumers and the communities that are being affected by these extractive and polluting industries. Um, and, it's, and it's quite isolating. Now, it's also important to point out that the, en the energy market and the way the energy market operates around its rules was all designed for this one directional flow of, 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 of energy. Really big centralised power stations transmitted long distances to the customers in a one directional flow. Now, what we have nowadays, however, is renewable energy has started coming into the mix and renewable energy has some very important characteristics is it can be deployed at a much smaller scale and therefore much closer to where it's needed. So we're starting to see energy being installed amongst the houses and that one directional flow is now being challenged and it's creating new opportunities. And we're all really familiar with one of those opportunities, which is putting solar on the roof of your own house. So this is Derek, some of you might know Derek from the Solar Citizens campaign. Um, that, they, that they did recently, a campaign that Solar Citizen did recently, but he's just a Solar Citizen. He's a, he's a guy that's realised that he can put solar on his house and save money uh, and have a greater say in what future energy mix looks like. We're now up to 1.67 million solar households. So, you know, the, that number is huge um, and it's growing rapidly all the time. And it's wonderful. But unfortunately, not everybody has a sunny roof they can put solar panels uh, onto. So this graph shows you um, the breakdown of uh, where solar panels are sitting in, in society according to in income percentiles. Actually, what this graph shows you is of the postcodes across all of Australia that have high penetration of solar, above 30%, we break them down into in income quintiles. So top 20% of income earners have got a fairly low rate of solar deployment. So we're well past the argument that solar is only for the city rich latte sipping set. I mean, we all know that's not true anymore. And the graph clearly shows you that as you come down the income brackets, we have higher rates of solar. 
but unfortunately, the lowest of them all is the lowest income bracket. So we've started talking about this concept of locked out energy users, if you can go to the next one. So there are literally millions of solar households that just can't put solar on their roof. That's because they live in apartments, they, they rent, um, they've got shaded roofs, they've got heritage issues. And overwhelmingly, it's the most vulnerable and disadvantaged in our society that fit into that category. So this is some research that uh, Mike Roberts from the University of New South Wales did in the last few weeks, just looking at the most recent census data to look at dwelling types and, and, and you know, how many households there were in each dwelling type. So really simple analysis, but pointing out that there's 2.6 million people in just New South Wales who will never be able to participate in this amazing rooftop solar revolution. Over. Yeah. yeah. Yep, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Switch over again. Thanks. Yep, okay. So, um, so like I mentioned at the beginning of the talk, um, we've got this recurring theme of the new economy. So um, people are taking more responsibility of their, of their needs. So we've got the example of Food Connect, which I'm sure you've heard about during this conference. Um, so that's connecting farmers and consumers in the city. Um, and you've also got people um, getting involved in community gardens where they've, so instead of having, like if they don't have their own backyard or their backyard's not suitable for whatever reason, they've got a plot at the local community garden and they're growing vegetables at that garden for, their, for use in their home, something like that. So what if we had um, a similar kind of idea of, you know, if we, if Tom, like Tom was saying, if you don't have a suitable roof, what if you could have a community solar garden where you have solar sitting um, sitting on another site that you that you can get the benefits from next so um, this is basically an example of uh, a business in the US um, that's got this idea of um, yeah community gardens it's already happening so this this business is already up and running successful uh, we don't we don't have any connections to them we just grab this off the internet um there are so literally hundreds of them yeah there's there's so many different um organizations that are doing this type of business model um where uh where people you know that don't have access to their own roof can jump on this website sign up yep contact yep sign me up and um people can get going okay so this is showing the thriving may i ask a question yes, yes. i didn't understand is electricity produced for people who uh, needed or is it sold to the grid and then like how you know this is a good question i'm going to come to that in like two so that's a preview of an upcoming slide we'll get to that we'll get to that yeah. okay so i just wanted to say that um this is this is basically yeah a thriving marketplace um as you can see uh it's going to be up to uh 400 um kilowatt uh, megawatt megawatts of solar gardens in the US predicted by the end of 2017 so it's just absolutely increasing um, and the only, only other thing I wanted to mention was in the US they call it community solar not solar gardens sometimes they use those words interchangeably because in the US uh, solar gardens are so so common that, um, that it's basically what people think of when they think of community solar. It's like 96% of community solar is solar gardens in the yeah. US. So just conflate the terms. Um, thanks, Tom. 
So here in Australia, we probably um, have other more common different type of community energy called behind the meter. So, and that's what, for example, Pingala did um, on the roof of um, Young Henry's. We've got a solar panel system up there that the Young Henry's are, are accessing and using to make solar powered beer. So this is kind of like a different alternative to that. And this is kind of how it works. So you've got the solar garden um, outside of the, not, you know, not on rooftops. You've got the community here, and that's re represented by homeowners, renters, people in apartments, and also businesses that invest, put their money into um, the setup of the solar farm. And to answer your question, yes, it's connected to the grid. It's connected to the poles and wires. So an electricity retailer that's uh, um, able to, to buy and sell from the energy market buys the energy and then redistributes that energy to the people back into the community again through the poles and wires. Um, do you is have there, any, sorry, is yeah. there a correspondence between uh, the share and the amount of electricity that the person gets to their house or is it just a matter of uh, financial settlement where my share for whatever I've spent gets a dividend and I have a power bill and I can offset it or is it irre irre not related to my power bill? There is, it's, it's closely related to your yeah. power bill, is that all right? Yeah, yeah, jumping. So uh, this is a definitional thing and so a lot of people are going, oh yeah, solar garden, it sounds wonderful, but it's actually for us is a very clearly defined term. It's not the same as a, 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 a solar farm or, or a shared ownership solar array. It has this key defining characteristic, which is it provides a credit on your regular electricity bill. So this is how it works. You know, the household buys a share of a solar of a solar array, and they might buy two kilowatts or five kilowatts, whatever. Um, the energy that that's produced arrives as a credit on their bill. Now, once we do that credit on the bill, this magical thing happens. It starts to feel and behave as if you have solar on the roof of your own house. You don't, it's, it's off-site solar for households. Now, the reason why what we think this is important is because we think it's, no, no, you're fine. We think this is going to be a highly marketable product. At the moment, what's happening with community energy is, is and we know this from Pingala, we, we put solar panels on the roof of the brewery, um, we lease those solar panels to the brewery, the, 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 that creates an income back to the cooperative, um, they're able to cover their costs and make a surplus and then redistribute that surplus to the shareholders as a dividend. So when you're out there at a you know, community event and you're explaining to people what, how the system works, you have to describe that. And it's, it's pretty complex stuff. And there's a real disconnect between you know, owning solar and getting a benefit. And another way, you know, when we do solar gardens, we can actually do a very different thing. We can rock up at the, at the markets with a solar panel and we can put a full sale sign and we say, do you want to buy solar? And then, oh, I can't because I've got a, I'm living in an apartment. Well, we've got a solution for you. You actually can buy this solar panel for $500. We'll put it in our solar array and you'll get a credit on your energy bill as if you had it on the roof of your own house. It's practically just uh, a payment through your energy bill, yes. offsetting your energy bill. So if my energy bill is $9 a month and I've got more income than that, I would get a credit from my retailer, whether it's my retailer paying me or 
the organisation yep. has all time. So yes. it's just a matter of who pays you if you're paying. Yeah, there is another dimension to this, which we're not going to go into in detail today, but we are also potentially unlocking some value in the retailer customer sort of stack relationship stack so re electricity retailers spend a lot of money acquiring and maintaining customers so we're actually creating a product which attracts customers and makes them stickier so we can probably un uncover some recover some value in all of that um, and but to answer your question it's it's a financial transaction because obviously the electrons from your solar panel that you own, that's on the, that's in the solar array, are not the electrons that are coming to your, to your home, it's a financial transaction that, yeah. that's, that's doing that. Yeah. The retailer is the partner in terms of distribution of yeah. 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 We probably definitely need a retailer involved to make this happen. Yeah, Alan. Who owns the panels? Like, who does that? Some business does that? Yeah, so it'd be, it'd be like a community energy organisation, like a cooperative, and they're responsible for owning the asset, managing it over time. Yeah, selling the energy to the retailer. Um, the, the, the customers will be not only customers of the retailer, but also owners of the, owners of the solar panels in the array. So we're going to go to the next one, because we need to move on. Um, and I, I guess really, We've got this idea, so we've, we've framed the problem that we, we've, we think we're solving. We've got this analogous model that exists overseas. We think there's a really good opportunity here to um, avoid some really bad outcomes for our most vulnerable um, energy users. Can it be done? Well, nobody's done it yet, but the closest thing we can point to is the Institute for Sustainable Futures at UTS University in Sydney. They did a really big project, and a part of that project was to do a virtual desktop trial of a community solar farm, which is actually a solar garden arrangement in exactly what we, pretty much exactly what we just described. So this report, sorry, the, the activities they went through was they did desktop modelling of what would the outcomes be for the community ent entity managing the solar farm and what would the outcomes be for the um, household customers and small business customers that were participating in the scheme. They just used standard, you know, customer profiles based on uh, anonymized billing data. Um, but there were two key findings that I think are really interesting. The first one was they looked at the electricity regulatory environment and the conclusion they came to was that there's no barrier to make, making solar gardens happen. We can do them. The second finding was that for the customer profiles that they looked at, things like a uh, couple at home during the day, couple at home yeah, out during the week with air conditioner, small businesses and so forth, um, they were all better off financially by participating than by not participating. The problem is, is that it was only marginally better off. So we, we, we don't have a strong business case. Yeah. With the solar farm idea, uh, energy that goes to the grid uh, is being paid for whether or not you need it at night time or not. Because if I get a bill and half of my bill is at night time, and my offset is for energy produced in the daytime, yep. It's as if I time shifted through a battery. Correct. Mm. Yeah, so what uh, what Energy Workers is proposing is to have basically uh, each customer will have a limit of one, uh, one kilowatt um, that they can buy maximum. So that one kilowatt is probably on average what people use during the day. 
So if you, because if you bought, say you wanted to invest in, you know, 10 kilowatts or something like that, then you're going to be, you're going to be generating more than you're using during the day. One so kilowatt is four important. kilowatt hours, you saying? Yeah. Like, or is that what you mean? Capacity? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, and, and basically this can mean that for, uh, you know, a one megawatt solar farm system, which will be like 1.2 hectares of solar panels, just to give you a visualization of how many solar panels we're talking about, um, that would be a pool of about a thousand customers. So therefore, there's not going to be um, a mismatch between the generation and, and the demand, and that's one of the, the general um, ideas about this whole solar gardens idea, is that it's, there's, there's a a push for the decentralization of energy so that the generation, the local generation and the local users are connected in a in a more physical way. So is there is there no PPA? It's, it's kind of technically a, a, a aggregation of behind the media no the power purchase agreement. No, there will definitely be a power purchase agreement because, um, yeah. like I said, there needs to be uh, an energy retailer that's purchasing the energy that's been um, put onto the grid. Um, the way that this is different from traditional power purchase agreements is usually you have uh, a developer that's making a, a solar farm and they want to maximise their return, right? So they want to push up the power purchase agreement. So it's you know, it's really high, it's a premium, you know, they want, it, they want to get the best value, right? And then you've got the consumers, they want the cheapest prices, you've got this disconnect. So what if they're the same people? The users, the consumers and the investors are actually the same people and then you want to have a balance of, um, and, and they basically have more control over what they're paying because they're, the, they're actually the investor as well. So now, the they don't want yeah. a premium, but they don't want it to be, they also want to get a return. So they want, you know, a happy medium. And I was going to add to that, there is a third party involved, which is the electricity retailer. So we've touched upon them. They, they obviously need to get value out of it as well. And it's yet to be negotiated with a retailer what the power purchase agreement would be. But I personally, I think we can form a really strong argument that households with solar, they get their feed-in tariff. Why shouldn't a household with off-site solar get a similar feed-in tariff? I'm just going to come to those questions in a second, but we, we also talk about the, you know, the, the virtual battery type of thing. The, the business models for these haven't been built. We need to build the business models. And there's different methodologies for how this can work. This pilot trialled a time of use netting off. So it actually said you had to be at home at the time using energy when the solar panels were producing, otherwise you would default, default back to a, a low feed-in tariff rate. So it was really simulating solar on your own roof. And so those in that modelling, those households were better off. It's a bit more complicated to do that, so you know probably what energy locals are doing is a simpler methodology, a non-time of use netting off. And then one and then two. Oh, you it. All right, so you were saying that you need a retailer. Yeah, you've got an over-energy up in the Northern Rivers who has specifically set themselves up to buy renewable energy and then sell it at a good price. They are a retailer, that's correct. Yeah. And they're a retailer. They're yeah. the first one in Australia. I believe they're 
quite willing to help other regions set up their own once they're properly up and running. Are you yep. considering putting that in? Indeed, exactly. So what we want to do is we, we, we don't want there to be one business model of this. We think this is a really big stuff. We think there should be a diversity and lots of these things popping up all over the place. So where do we start? Well, we start working with the friendly retailers. Clearly Inova, the community-owned retailer, we start with them. And the two locals but, is also... But there are other, there are other retailers who have business models. So energy, retail, energy locals have a profit share model. So it's a bit like who gives a crap for electricity, right? They, 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 um, they, they share the profit back with the, with the community. Uh, you, you, the people you need to deal with are the people who own the poles, not the retailers. The retailers are actually redundant and there is no reason whatsoever that a co-op can't become a retailer. Yeah, and you correct. Deal, and you deal directly with the, forget about the retailers, mm. all of them, just do it straight yep. away. Yeah, that's, that's definitely a good point. Um, the thing that Energy Locals wanted to do is um, set, up a, set up a retailer that has the retail license, that has all the compliance and billing systems in place, and then allow organize and then allow community groups, other organisations to basically use use this license and just put their own front in front of it. And then Energy Locals is behind doing all those boring like things about trading energy. Like a franchise syndicate. Yeah, so like, yes. like a like a, a like a white label, grey label kind of system. Yeah, co-ops. The thing about this on that about co-ops and retailers, it's really hard to be a retailer. It's very expensive. Um, these Sorry. guys, and this is one of the reasons why they're doing it. And um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of co-ops, but in Queensland, it's really hard to do because we haven't had the nationalised laws. Um, and also, you can have the same democratic principles embedded in any corporate structure. So the corporate structure can sometimes be a bit agnostic about it. Um, and so, the, I think the value of energy locals is they're kind of giving away this this knowledge and IP. It's, it's a shared economy. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. No, no, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I'll, I'll let you go in one second, but I want to point, make a point which I think is really important. When Innova was formed, they were Australia's first community energy retailer. And I thought that was a fantastic development, but I also thought, I hope they're not the last. Yeah. We now have at least one more. They don't have a community ownership model, but they have a community benefit sharing model. And they're a community retailer as much as, as an overarch. And I hope there's another one and another one and another That's one. That's Energy Locals, is it? That's Energy Locals, yeah. So the third retailer that might be involved in this, just so we can just diffuse this Energy Locals versus an over thing, PowerShop are also in conversations about doing solar gardens. And there will no doubt be others like Diamond and so forth come into the frame. Oh, and Energy Queensland are looking at doing it too. Yeah. So we need to move on to our uh, facilitated workshop bit because we're actually going to design a test. And so question here and then Eva. Just to understand clearly, uh, if I put solar panels on my roof, um, I can use those energy. So I've got four kilowatts produced. I use that four kilowatts, and that's I have an agreement with myself. I have to use four kilowatts. I'm not going to send them to the grid, right? Um, in the case of remotely putting my solar panel somewhere else, but getting those four kilowatts to my house, mm. is it like I have it on my roof where after about six years, it's paid for itself through savings, and then for the next 14 years, I have free energy? Like, am I going to get 20 years of four kilowatts a day? from one kilowatt purchase in that solar garden? 
I would recommend you look up an article by Joe Mueller that was recently published in One Step Off the Grid, which steps away from this narrative of when am I going to get my money back or when am I going to pay off my solar system and instead looks at a rate of return. So it's basically drawing an analogy between comparison rates when you borrow money um, and we need to start talking about the return you get from rooftop solar in a standard way. Would I get 20 years of my solar panel generating electricity? Yep, more or less. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. So once you've bought in, you own the solar panels and you'll continue to get the benefit of those. Yeah, except you're collectively owning them in a solar array and you need to share the cost. Let's move well, on. The cost above the normal cost of buying that? Has it, what? Has, has it been developed yet? Um, we don't know. I'll tell you about that. <laughs> Quick question. How do you make the calculation of how much it will cost you? Yes. But, yeah, how much? I'll go, I'll go through some of those cool. aspects in a minute. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so I'm going to jump into a story. So I've been talking to this group in Manila. It's not in the Philippines. It's a little town near Tamworth, New South Wales. Um, it's called Manila. does actually exist. There's the old bank over there. So Emma, which I was going to show you a picture of. Anyways, just imagine Emma. Um, she's the president of the Manila Community Renewable Energy Association and um, she's also a mom and a graphic designer and um, she's been working really hard in her community. She's got a, a group of people together and they got a grant from um, the Office of Environment and Heritage in New South Wales and they did a feasibility study of community energy projects that they could do in their community. They had, they had two different ideas. One was a biodigester, very complicated, um, processing organic waste and producing fertilizer and natural gas. It's very complicated. Another one was a solar farm. So I got in contact with, with Emma and we had a great chat. I actually lived in Manila when I was a kid for about, I don't know, half a year or something like that. So at least I kind of knew the town, which is, which is one thing I'm going into. Think about how we're making these connections and trusted relationships and everything. So we had these conversations and um, uh, started to talk to Emma about how, um, how we could get this project going. How could we make this solar farm a reality? So they'd done a feasibility study and then they realized that they needed to find some land to put their solar farm on. Getting back to your question, we need a grid connection. That means we need to start talking to the network provider about how do we actually plug in this, this solar farm to the network? How do we get approval for that? And then also you need a development consent. You need to comply with the, the local um, planning requirements. Um, so we were, kind of, we were kind of in that situation, um, but we, we somehow build up this trust. And I think that was because we started talking about this is some way for the community to come together and start talking about um, taking action taking action about climate change in a rural community, talking, this is Barnaby Joyce country people, and they're talking about taking action on climate change, okay? Um, we started to get excited. We started to think, what if we could make a sculpture garden around or somehow connected to this solar farm? Would that bring in the community? Would they start to feel like, okay, this is my solar farm. I'm doing something here. Um, so we thought, yeah, we, we're totally on the same page. We're going we're to sign an agreement. So now Energy Locals and this, um, this Manila group have an agreement and they created um, their own, they've basically got a grey label product so they can sign up customers now through 
uh, an, like a, a thing. They just rebranded it because Manila Community Renewable Energy Association was too long. They decided to call it Manila Solar. Simple. So you can sign up as um, a Manila Solar customer. And basically, at the moment, that doesn't mean that any, nothing changes. You're basically just changing over to, from your current retailer over to, over to Energy Locals. And then Manila get um, basically 50% of the profits that, um, that's coming through off the customer bills. And that's also then helping to create that pool of customers that are going to be users of the, of the future solar farm. So, yes. <clears throat> um, I live in an area of Queensland where we are only serving Urgul. Um, and I know that a lot of people in our direct community, because um, we all live on Friday because of stuff along those lines, um, we desperately want a, at least a second retailer. Um, so is this one of the ways of actually doing that by getting, you know, a dozen or more of us that live on five acres to come together and create a solar farm and then create the cooperative that then becomes the retailer? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I think the government has regulated that in that particular area of Queensland, that there's only one retailer and there's no one that it, so it's a state owned enterprise yeah. and a control well, monopoly. Yeah. 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 What they have, what we have in Queensland, is a community um, uh, service obligation. And those in South East Queensland subsidise those outside of South East Queensland. So I didn't say my last electricity bill. I don't think you'd say there's a subsidy. <laughs> yeah. Solar 
and it was costing them $28,000 a year. So I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but they are a state-owned enterprise corporation. Mm. So political pressure can work through the normal political channels. Yes. Oh, yes. Go. Queensland, yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> New South Wales, an operator were paying small houses at the end of the line to get off the grid, yeah. and they're actually paying them to get off the grid. Yeah. The album, I think, was in the yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, just one point, um, Energy Locals is currently in operation in the whole of New South Wales and in southeast Queensland. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, we also wanted to, maybe we can just do it as a bit of a group session, think about um, what would be the, um, the ways that consumers would be more likely to want to get involved in this kind of program. Yeah, so we've actually run it pretty, pretty well over time, but it's yeah. been great to have these questions and, and have more of a conversation. Um, the intention was to essentially set out an argument that there's no point developing these business models unless we have some greater degree of confidence that customers will actually sign up to this stuff. Like we can do all the spend all the time in the world going and doing engineering on the site in Manila. We can you know, put all the effort into developing the business models and deciding if we've got the time of use netting method methodology or, or whatever. But if we don't actually know the customers are going to be interested in signing up to these products, then then maybe there's no point. Yeah, and just quickly, I'll just I'll just go into some of those financial details that you were interested right. in before. So I've done a financial model of well, particular well, it's kind of like an example, right? Because we're right at the beginning stages of this, but it's kind of focused on the Manila project. Um, so the first thing is that you need to make sure you have cheap panels, probably. Um, around $1.50 per watt, that would be nice. That'd be nice. Um, at the moment, I've been quoted about $2 a watt. Um, so you're, you're, you're looking into a couple of million dollars for this project, okay? So oh, for a one meter watt? Yeah. Is that what you're talking? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that's installed. That's installed. That's installed. We've engaged with um, someone that wants to get involved as a as the developer and also, um, you know, project managing the whole project. Um, and they also want to take an equity stake in the project, so a bit of sweat equity. So they're going to in, invest and take the risk in doing the DA and uh, the grid connection, but they want to get, um, yeah, sweat equity for that. Um, the other aspects are that you've because you're dealing with the national energy market, you're selling the energy generated to the market, you've got to understand that this is a marketplace, right? It's fluctuating, the price is fluctuating. And with the, well, it's, it's hard to predict the future. Who would have thought that in July this year, a lot of people have been facing sometimes, you know, 16 to 90% increase in their retail energy bills. So, um, that's that's gone up, but it's actually predicted the price of electricity is predicted to come down because we've also got a lot of new gen solar generation coming online. So it's predicted to come down. The other thing is that um, currently we've got um, so, solar. So, so that affects build or does it affect contract? Because if it, you agree to four kilowatts a day, is that going to change? Yeah, yep, so I'll get to that. Oh. So um, so the other thing is we've got the um, the renewable energy targets. So when solar is generated, you're also generating a long, long, long term, what is it, large scale, large scale generation certificates, LGC, uh, LC. LGCs, yeah. Yes, LGCs. Mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah, so that's also ending um, in 2020, but there's this tail off until 2030. So the price of LGCs is predicted to halve. So, so what we're talking about is we've got this solar farm. How, how, what's your revenue stream? Stream the revenue stream is the the sale of that energy onto the market. You've got the cost of electricity, the, the wholesale generation, and then you've got the LGCs, and they're both coming down, predicted to come down. So you're creating this, um, you know, this asset, but then the the revenue is predicted to go down. So that's that's the constraints we're talking about when we're talking about um, solar farms. So yeah, people might think, oh great, solar panels are magical, I'm gonna make so much money, but um, it's probably not the case. So we're probably thinking that at the moment, you would get a payback period of about 10 years, about 5% of your return. Um, obviously the panels have a warranty life of 25 years, so you can still get some, some benefits for 25 years but that is completely dependent on whether the government is going to introduce the, uh, the clean energy target that was announced by the Finkel Review in June this year. The government has uh, signed off on 49 of the 50 recommendations, but the most important recommendation, which was let's just put a price on tax or whatever you want to call it, let's just have a market incentive, they actually haven't done that. Um, and so we're now still stuck in this in this kind of place where the the, the economics are are constrained for, for bringing on these these projects. Yeah. Uh, I want to invoke Richard Dennis's talk, and he spoke about look, we can we can do all the modelling we like, but we actually don't really know what the future looks like. What we probably need to be doing is going with good ideas. We think this is a good idea. Um, unfortunately, the economic argument for it, the financial model for it, is very marginal. It really doesn't stack up. That's okay. When rooftop solar started, it also didn't stack up. So we had early adopters. And is anybody an early adopter that you actually put solar on your roof before it really economically makes sense? No. One person. Yeah. <laughs> they, these people exist. And, and in a room of what we've got here, 20 people, one out of 20, I don't think that's surprising. I think that's probably what we see. Maybe less, actually. So what we think we should do is start making solar gardens happen now because it's a good idea. And let's learn the lessons and let's go to those people who are motivated by much more than just saving loads of money and let's get those early adopters into this business model. Is that a conversation going with the reader about probably some of this? So um, in the Institute of Sustainable Futures and Community Power Agency, we're working in partnership on an arena funded um, project to pilot, no it's not to pilot, it's to do some business case development for four pilot, um, four pilot solar gardens business models. So one in Victoria, one in New South, sorry, two in Victoria, one in New South Wales and one in Queensland. What we'll be doing is we'll get in, we're getting legal advisors to look at a broader range of legal issues to see whether or not, you know, what where the tricks and traps are. We'll be doing deeper uh, market research to see where, where the, cust the cust target customers uh, are interested in this, what their motivations are. Um, we'll be developing business models in partnership with these prototype teams. And these prototype teams will be developing business models and the plans for their pilots ready to go. We won't actually be doing pilots with this funding. Where's the, where's the application up to? We've been told that um, at the next panel meeting, um, our, our application will be considered. Um, and we're confident that it's going to be approved. Yeah. 
So there will be there will be this project going ahead. Yeah. I I thought you were setting up this idea that you've got a power purchasing agreement where people say, well, basically I'm pre-purchasing 20 years of solar, like by investing this money in a solar farm. Why did you talk about selling selling to the market the energy from the solar farm? Okay, so remember how we had that image of the the consumer and the bill and yeah. So um, so basically, the the person will become a member of just say a cooperative because it would a cooperative structure is probably better. So when they're a member of a cooperative, they'll be investing in that cooperative, and then they'll get. Um, the returns on the bill. So, so the bill is just because it's easier for because the billing system's already there. So you need to you need to have the power purchase agreement because the energy with, who? with, with a retailer. Yes, I know, but I'll, but if the customers yep. are the people buying the power, yeah, why does it have to be sold somewhere else at a market rate? Because you the. Yeah, because how, how are you going to connect them? It's yeah. you you can't you can't buy as an individual. You're not a market um, a market player. You can't. But the retailer can. Yeah. You can get your own hundred megawatts or hundred kilowatts. I think it is changing it. But you're you're a different entity. You're not just like a household anymore. You're now a power producing unit, and you get a different set of rules and stuff. I think some of those rules are that you have to sell into the national electricity market. You can't just can't sell to the retailer directly? Well, no, yeah, you can. You can. Sure, you can. So essentially, the premise of your question was, if the customer is also the buyer, why can't we make it work? Well, the, I think one answer to that would be, the customer is not the buyer. There needs to be an electricity retailer sitting between them yeah, doing sure. So the retailer has their own realities yeah. in terms of the way they operate and the way they need to comply with the energy market rules. That's right. The retailer themselves will have to pay for the powers and the wires which will be then passed on to the consumer. Okay, that's yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a separate issue, but look, the, 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 unfortunately with these models, the poles and wires have to be paid for in their entirety. But yeah. if we just look at the purchase of electricity and selling that on to customers dynamic, then the retailer has their own has their own realities that they need to deal with. So will they enter into a 25-year power purchase agreement? No, they, they won't do that. It's too risky for them. Will they enter into a five-year agreement at maybe 10 cents a kilowatt hour? Probably. Yeah. yeah. So what, what Energy Locals is, is happy to do is to say that we'll review the price um, on, say, like an annual basis to make sure it's not ridiculously high or ridiculously low so that the people... Annual. Five years. We're negotiating. We're negotiating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 12 cents. 8 cents. <laughs> You actually haven't addressed the question of what you were going to address, which was what about those people down to zero twenty, right? Those people people who are poor, they don't they don't have money to invest in this. How are you going to address it? Okay, I'll I'll take this one on quickly. Okay, so we've got remember how I said that we've got let's say it's a one megawatt system and we want to have a pool of a thousand customers to to cover that generation. You could, and then it's going to cost, let's say, $2 million. Let's say that some people in that community of 1,000 people can put in 10,000, 50,000, yeah, dollars, right? They're putting it in. But because you've got a pool of 1,000 people, maybe you could reserve some spaces where people can put in $50, $100, 
a small amount so they can still be a participant in this. They probably won't get that much return as in the credit on their bill, but they're still able to take action on climate change. They can still be a part of this process and they're still enabled to make the solar garden happen and be part of this community movement. Do you rent, do you live in an apartment? Would you like to participate in owning solar? Solar. Because if you do, we've got a product for you. It's called the Community Solar Garden. You buy the panels, we put them in our solar array, and the energy they produce will be credited on your bill. Plus, for every 10 customers like you that we sign up, we're going to give a one kilowatt solar system to a low-income household in your area. Who pays for the ones you like? Who pays for the ones you like? The 10 customers do. Okay, so they just get a premium and give it to the. Why not? No, I'm okay with it. Yeah. Just on that, like I work in the community, we get that threshold all the time from people saying, I have access and I don't get enough bidding power. Can I give it to someone? And it comes up all the time. There'll be no problem at all. Yeah, so I, I do installations and inspections of solar all around Canberra. And how are you going to choose the equipment that you put in? Because if you get something accidentally that just flaps out after three years, yeah. it's going to be a major cost. Yeah. Well, so one one thing is that um, the developer that I was talking about, they're also the manufacturer of the panels, yeah. and they are also, like I said, they want to have um, an equity in the. Uh, in the solar farm, so that means it's in their interest, in their financial interest, to make sure that they're not spending a lot on operation and maintenance of the panels, and um, you know, not providing dodgy panels that, that break down. Yeah, yeah, as good as you can get. And also, they're they're um, keen to use local installers and local electricians and things like that. So it's actually creating um, jobs in in the region. Really interesting. Yeah. Whether or not you guys have considered that, you know, camp, um, governments close a loophole in tax. You know, it's an income uh, that you're generating. Yep. It's a shareholders. Yep. What's the tax implications for that income? Is that going to offset any benefit you're going to get on the bill? So that's not tested, and that's one of the things we'll be getting the lawyers to look at through the arena project. Yeah, because it's only group. But yeah. one of the things that resident, um, rooftop solar households have is there's a public ruling through the ATO that says that that's not classed as income. Right. Yeah. So we could form a very strong argument that off-site solar should also be classed in the same category. All right. Yeah. But it needs to be done. I'm really interested to see how that shapes out. Mm. You know, government, as you said, will change and yeah. ideas will change. And yeah. You see, there's so many moving parts to all of this. Yeah. There's so many things that need to be resolved. And I, I, I maintain that we need to not design the perfect model before we start. Because if we do that, we're not going to do anything. Or we won't do anything for 10 years. Just get on. Just get on with it. You're looking at peer-to-peer -peer training, like um, what's being set up by Carl Ledger? Yep. So one of the things that you need to make this work is a, what I call a distribution system. So each household owns a share. Um, the, the energy that produces needs to be recorded in some sort of database. So do we do a, a, a sort of private database, or do we use a distributed ledger, which is what blockchain does and Power Ledger does? They also have a fractional equity um, ownership platform as part of their... That's right. So there's proof of stake, proof of ownership, all of these things that happen in blockchain. So it's a really 
exciting technology. I would also say that that's probably a bit of icing on the cake. Let's get the business model working and then figure out how to optimise it through things like blockchain, the most efficient way of running it. Um, I don't know what point should have just gone out of there. Just, are those people leaving? Just well, yeah, we're done, so thank you very we're much. We're going another half an hour or so. Oh, we'll do that. I thought we only had an hour. Yeah, you do, but the next session's not for half an hour. Half an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.